Hi, I'm Coy Atkins, and thank you for listening to this episode of Crime Nerds. Today's episode is going to be more of a mini-episode, mostly because there isn't a whole lot of information on this case, but it's a very interesting one. This case has a lot of similarities to the Robert Durst episode that I covered a little while back. It's a story about a man who came to the U.S. as a child, became incredibly successful, started a life of crime, and then he disappeared. This is the story of John Paul Sr. John Paul was born in 1939 in the Netherlands. When he was 17 years old, he moved to the United States with his family. Once they were in the United States, the family settled in Muncie, Indiana. John stayed in Muncie for a little while and attended Ball State University. From there, he received a scholarship and went on to Harvard, where he received his master's degree in business. He went on to work on Wall Street and quickly made a lot of money where he became a millionaire. By this time, he was married to his first wife, Joyce, and they had a son named John Paul Jr., who was born in 1960. In the late 1960s, John used his money to start a sports car racing team. In 1968, he won the Sports Car Club of America Regional Championship. But by 1972, things began taking a downward turn for John. Joyce divorced him and took John Jr. with her. As a result of this, John left racing for a little while, and he ended up buying a sailboat and living on the boat. Three years later, John returned to racing. This time, John Jr. was living with him, and he decided to be part of the race crew. Now, I'm not going to go too much into his racing career, but he was a pretty good driver, and he won several races, and competed in multiple races that were 24-hour long races. And then entered Chalice Alford. Chalice was born in Florida in 1947. She became a flight attendant for Delta Airlines in 1965 and worked her way up to becoming a senior flight attendant. She met her first husband and they moved to Jonesboro, Georgia, and her husband loved racing. And he took Chalice to the Atlanta racetrack where she met John Sr. John offered to give her a ride in the race car and go for a practice lap. And from there, everything changed. John and Chalice, they just clicked. They had an undeniable chemistry, and it didn't take long for her to divorce her husband. And on May 26, 1980, John and Chalice were married. They got married on a racetrack after John finished a race. But the fantasy didn't last very long. John's next race was going to be in Paris, so that's where they took their honeymoon. And while on the honeymoon, John had an affair with a woman who was described as a race car groupie. Not long after that, Chalice lost her job at Delta due to John causing a huge scene with her while she was at work. Chalice separated from John and moved to Palm Beach, Florida where she tried to sort out what to do next. Through her years as a flight attendant, she met a lot of very influential people in the film industry flying in first class. So she reached out to her connections and decided to move back to Atlanta, Georgia and pursue an acting career. She was an extra in a movie with Burt Reynolds. And then she was cast for a small part for a movie that 
was set to film in 1981, but she never made it to filming. John showed up at the house that she was renting in the summer of 1981, and he tried to talk to her and make things right between them, and he wanted the marriage to work out. John convinced her that he loved her and that they could work this out, and he asked her to meet him back in Florida. So Chalice eventually got on a plane to meet John back in Florida. Boarding the plane was the last time that she was seen. John claimed that he had no idea what happened to Chalice, and according to him, she abandoned him. And John filed for divorce due to her absence. While John Sr. was never connected to anything to do with her disappearance, his legal trouble actually began back in 1979. On January 10th, 1979, John Jr. was at a canal in Louisiana after dark, loading equipment from a boat onto a pickup truck. Customs agents pulled up and began questioning John Jr. and his associate, Christopher Schill. The agent smelled the odor of marijuana coming from the two guys. They ended up searching the boat and found $10,000 in cash. Then, in a different pickup truck that was parked very nearby, they found 1,500 pounds of marijuana. John Jr. and Christopher, they were both arrested and they pled guilty to their charges. They were given three years probation and fined over $30,000. But John Jr. taking the plea was very, very far from the end. Because next, federal agents continued their investigation, and over the years they were able to link John Sr. as the mastermind behind a drug smuggling operation that moved over 200,000 pounds of marijuana from Colombia to the U.S. Stephen Carson was involved in the drug trade with John Sr., and he eventually became a federal witness in exchange for immunity on his part. On April 19, 1983, Stephen was coming back from a fishing trip off the coast of Crescent Beach, Florida, which is just a little south of St. Augustine. John approached Stephen at the ramp, and he pulled out a revolver, ordered Stephen to get into a trunk of a car. Instead, Stephen turned and ran. John shot him five times, which struck him in the back and the legs. Stephen's fishing partner began yelling, and John Sr. ran off. Even after being shot, Stephen lived and was able to testify against John. Now, the FBI were on the lookout for John Sr. He was being charged with tampering with a federal witness and attempted murder. Two years later, in 1985, John Sr. was arrested in Switzerland for using a fake passport, which put him right back on the radar of the FBI. John Sr. did six months in a Swiss jail and then he was extradited back to America. Around the same time, John Jr. was pleading guilty to racketeering charges and was sentenced to five years in prison. On June 4, 1986, John Sr. pleaded guilty on the attempted murder charge, and he was sentenced to 20 years in prison for that charge and an additional five years for his federal charges. Not even a year later, on March 10, 1987, John Sr. attempted to escape from Baker County Prison that he was being held at until he was transferred to a federal prison. According to the Gainesville Sun, at 9.40 that morning, while in the recreation yard of the prison, John Sr. and another inmate mixed hot water, hot sauce, black pepper, and pine saw together. They then used a shampoo bottle to squirt it into the eyes of the only guard that was in the yard at the time. Then they scaled a 12-foot high fence, but the guard quickly recovered from the 
poor escaped attempt, drew his gun and fired two shots. John Sr. and the other inmate immediately stopped and fell to their ground. And I say poor escape attempt because they tried to squirt this liquid concoction thing that they made into the guard's eyes. But he was wearing glasses, so it was pretty ineffective. There was also a truck that was found in the parking lot that was reported stolen from Gainesville, Florida, which is just about a 40-minute drive from the prison. The truck was believed to have been a getaway vehicle for John Sr. and the other inmate, but investigators were never able to figure out who stole the truck and left it there. I would think that if you were sentenced to 25 years in prison and less than a year in you attempt to escape, then there's probably a very slim chance that you're going to get paroled. And then if you take in the history of one wife disappeared, smuggling drugs, attempted murder, fleeing the country, and getting caught with a fake passport, it just seems like that person would at least serve their 25 years. But that's not the case here, because in 1999, just 13 years into his 25-year sentence, John Sr. was released from prison. And it wouldn't be long after his release before law enforcement was looking for him yet again. If you like true crime stories, then I think you'll like my book One Moment. Or at least, I hope you'll like it. While it's not a true crime story, it does have a mystery and suspense element to the story. The book is available on Amazon as a paperback copy or an ebook, and the link is in the show notes. And what goes so well with reading a book? A good cup of coffee. Recently, I've been drinking coffee from Barney's Coffee and Tea Company. I've been drinking the creamy buttery caramel flavor, which is hands down my favorite so far. And if you'd like to try some coffee from Barney's, the Amazon link to order some is also in the show notes. Now, back to the show. Colleen Wood moved from Ohio to Boca Raton, Florida, where she got a job at a local marina. And she came across an ad in a newspaper that was a personal ad that said a man was looking for a sailing companion. Colleen responded, and that is how she met John Sr. The two quickly fell madly in love with one another in this newfound romance. It didn't take them very long, and they had a five-year plan to sail the world in John's sailboat. Colleen even sold her condo and gave John the $43,000 profit for him to invest, since he had this history with Wall Street and owning a mutual fund company. She then quit her job and moved on to the boat with John. On December 3rd, 2000, Colleen called her adult son, Mike, back in Ohio. She told him that the boat was getting ready to set sail within a few weeks, and then she would be in touch with him soon. About 10 days later, Colleen's old boss from the marina, Maureen, called Colleen and talked to her on the phone. Colleen said that she and John were at a bar in the Keys, and Maureen invited her to their Christmas party for the following week. Colleen told Maureen that she would be there. Their Christmas party came, and Colleen didn't show up. Christmas Eve came, and Mike hadn't heard from his mother. Christmas passed, not even a phone call. Then New Year's passed, and still no word from Colleen. 
Mike knew that this wasn't like her, and he tried calling her phone, but each time that he called, the phone number was disconnected. Mike tried to track down John Sr. and his boat, Island Girl. He contacted the Coast Guard and was communicating back and forth with them, trying to find a location for the boat. He then took his search online, trying to find a phone number or a recent address for John Sr., but what he found was much more disturbing. Mike learned that John Sr. was more than just a wealthy former Wall Street guy turned race car driver. He learned that John Sr. spent time in prison for attempted murder, his previous wife disappeared without a trace, and he was a drug smuggler. Mike knew that Colleen didn't know any of this about John, which made him worry even more. So now I'm going to throw in a surprise character for you. John Sr. also had a daughter. And I couldn't find which relationship he had a daughter in, but this is the first part that she's brought up in most stories about this case. Mike contacted John's daughter. She said that John told her that he and Colleen separated in December after they had an argument over one of John's ex-girlfriends. Mike was then able to get a hold of John, and John gave him a completely different story. John said that he didn't remember what the fight was about, but they had an argument and Colleen left. A few days later, she came back with some football player boyfriend, got all her things off the boat, and left. Immediately after hearing this story, Mike filed a missing persons report with the Fort Lauderdale Police Department. It was now four months after Colleen went missing. And not a surprise, John had a third story to tell the police. He said that in mid-December, he and Colleen got into a fight because she owed him money. She made no effort to repay him, and then she left him, which doesn't make too much sense because how much money could she possibly owe him after giving him $43,000? But detectives noticed a few things about John. He seemed to get more nervous as he spoke, and he didn't show any concern at all over Colleen missing. This was a woman that he had just made plans with to sail around the world for five years. A woman that he supposedly loved, but showed no signs of concern for her. Detectives then began looking into Colleen's financial history, and they became even more concerned. Between early December and February, 80 transactions were made on Colleen's credit card, totaling in over $40,000 of cash advances taken out of ATMs. Now, I'm not sure if this came from ATM cameras or security cameras nearby, but police were able to determine that Colleen was not the one withdrawing the money, but it did appear to be an unknown female. Police also learned that in December, two ads were run in the newspaper using Colleen's credit card and they were purchased using her name. The first ad was someone looking for a first mate for a sailing trip, much like the one that Colleen responded to when she met John Sr. The second ad was placed in the romance section, just a male seeking a female. So detectives wanted to talk to John Sr. again, but this time... John Sr. was the one who disappeared. There were rumors that he may have been in the Fiji Islands. With his sailing experience, it would have been a great place to hide out with over 300 islands in the area. And he was reportedly spotted there by someone who recognized him and his boat from an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. John Sr. then sailed back to Europe, where it was confirmed that he sold his sailboat in Italy. And since then, he hasn't been seen. And it's been almost 20 years as of today, if John is still alive, he would be 81 years old. John Jr. says that he hasn't talked to his dad since his disappearance. Chalice and Colleen's cases are still open, and neither of them have been found, and there's no evidence pointing to any suspect, but it is believed that they're both deceased. 
And this brings us to a conclusion of this episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crime Nerds Podcast.